0: Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at RunningLight.org. Thank you for being a part of this presentation. Uh, my name is Bo. I'm Peter. And we're with Running Light Ministries, and we put together a presentation that we're excited to uh, do for you guys on uh, leadership training for pastors. So the point of this presentation was to help those in ministry uh, in some really uh, uh, sensitive topics like sexual immorality, and that's the main topic we're talking about. And and uh, we hope that this presentation is kind of a paradigm sh- paradigm shift in some ways to. Um, deal with some underlying issues that we've seen over the years Mm. in the ministry. And we're hoping to kind of hammer through some of these, these, um, really underlying issues and then, um, move into what we, what we think is a more biblical approach to, um, dealing with the issues that we're going to present. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so it's
1: like, you know, we, i I remember you know we we started planning this idea for doing a a leadership training because you know me and Bo uh have been working with people i've been working with men and women for close to a decade now i think you've been working with men and women for gosh like 15 years now on this issue Mm -hmm. um i mean you've been counseling for 20 but you know (laughs) like uh this particular issue for like 15 years and uh what we realize is for some reason, you know, and, and we're hoping to take away a little bit of that stigma and this training, but for some reason, I feel like a lot of ministers and uh, even parents feel ill-equipped to deal with this particular issue. Um, even if they have done a lot of counseling and other issues, I feel like a lot of them just feel like they're lacking in understanding this issue in a, in a way that could positively help people, both couples and individuals deal with this, uh, deal with sexual morality. So, um, Yeah, we're hoping that this presentation really just helps people uh, get some more confidence in being able to communicate both your, with your congregation and with individuals because predominantly what we see is we see ministers just kind of send people our way. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, hey, you know, Bo, Peter, you know, I got this guy who struggles and we're like, yeah, like this is what you can do. And they're like, oh, no, I'm just going to send him your way. You know, and, they just, and we're happy to do it. But, you know, it, it's obviously going to be much more meaningful if a local pastor that they know and trust already Mm -hmm. communicates with them on
0: these things yeah and one of one of the things that we've always try to communicate that's real important for people to understand is that we really believe strongly that the church has everything that really we need right and so this presentation is going to be a little different for people because it's not going to be a traditional sexual immorality kind of talk for a lot of people out there this is going to challenge a lot of fundamental Uh, uh, beliefs and and thoughts right, and even doctrines Yeah, and so um, we're going to do it in different parts and we're going to try to hammer through uh, maybe do it in four parts or something like that Uh, so there is a lot of stuff to talk about so we're just going to get right into it here and um, so that just says equipping pastors and church leaders with working with sexual issues and I'm going to lower uh our video a little bit, because you don't really need to see me and Peter too much. You just know that we're there. <laughs> you can just know that we're there. But um, so through vulnerability, that's an important part of this that uh, we're going to have to explain a little bit. Yeah. So um, part one, how the lack of vulnerability affects the church. So this is a big one. You want to start this one?
1: Yeah. So the slide says, Most pastors will not talk about personal sexual issues because it puts them in a precarious situation. Well, we put us, because we're ministers as well, in a precarious situation. Sharing that they sin is safe, but sharing how they sin is not. And what we mean by that is, you know, me and Bo throughout the years have also just listened to probably thousands of sermons between the two of us, maybe tens of thousands uh, from various ministers because we, we love the word of God. You know, we love to hear what other pastors are saying. We love to hear different perspectives. So we we're just going through all these different people as they, as they talk about the word. And we've heard a lot of confessions, what you can consider confessions, but they're always very vague. Um, You'd know, you would have no idea of knowing what real struggles grip these men Um, The biggest confession, the most clear confession that we've ever heard usually comes in the form of a pastor saying like, hey, the other day I was in traffic and someone cut me off and I got really upset. And, you know, I I maybe and some pastors are even bold enough to say that they yelled at the person. And but uh, me growing up in the church, listening to sermons like that, I was just like, gosh, like I can't relate to these guys at all. You know, cause I'm like that, I would love if that was my biggest problem. You know, like if, if getting kind of mad at people in traffic was like the peak or the pinnacle of my issues before God, you know, I would, I would love that. And so, uh, listening to these types of confessions, listening to these types of things paints a picture that the minister has it licked. That, yeah, that they and, got and
0: we're gonna we'll get into that. We're gonna get into that more, but just so we know at the start that we understand how sensitive uh, it is to be in front of people mm. and to all of a sudden just open up your world to other folk. And in reading, and studying the Word of God, and then giving a message on the Word of God. Uh, you're you're up front, and we and everybody knows probably anybody who's heard this or listening to this presentation that's a minister of some sort, lay person that uh, is doing any kind of Bible teaching. They probably have read the book of James. It says, "Let not many of you become teachers, for you're under stricter judgment." And mm-hmm. we've all kind of heard that go. What does that mean from God, or does that mean from people? But we recognize that. From people that's true, as well as maybe from the Lord, but we know that certainly people are going to look at what we say and, and they're going to think of us differently and, and and even though we like to think that all of us pastors uh, don't care what people think about us, um, you know we do. and that plays a part too, of maybe why. Uh, this vulnerability and sharing can be so difficult. but sh-
1: It's scary, you know, yeah. it really is. Because I, I feel like for me personally, when I'm sharing uh, in my heart, I want to be like a strong leader for the congregation. And I feel like to open up my world makes it seem like in, in my mind, this is how I think of it, is that I'm like, if I'm admitting to not being able to keep this particular passage, then why should anyone listen to me? You know, like it kind of feels like you're forfeiting your qualifications to teach and to lead when you get too real. So because of that, there's a huge temptation to just be like, I'm going to just be stern. You know, I'm just going to like stick to the word of God. I'm going to be strict. I'm not going to open up my world, you know, and I'm just going to go that direction. So it's a very, very daunting thing as as a minister to be able to share personal vulnerability at any level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we understand that. And uh, let's try to go to this next slide. So we have questions for people. Have you shared your sin or sins in a public arena? Hmm. And we we would like people to discuss that. Yeah. And kind of think through that a little bit. And how did you feel when you did it? So you shared a little bit about yours and... I certainly concur with that. You know, you you want to be strong and you feel maybe weak. Um, What were the repercussions? That's maybe something that a lot of us have to delve into that fear realm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what happens if I do share a failure into that? Or what if I do that? What if I do this? Um, You know, does that mean that I'm no longer an elder? Does that mean I'm no longer a pastor? Does that mean I'm no longer, I can no longer pray with people? Yeah. Um, you know, were there repercussions, you know, when someone shared with someone, did they immediately go, okay, well, now we got to do this? Mm. You know, how did that work? Um, or have you seen some pastors misuse the pulpit to share everything in their life? Hmm. So that's another flip side of maybe why it's hard to be vulnerable at the pulpit because maybe people have seen other people do it and it hasn't gone so well.
1: Yeah, that maybe there's a tendency in some to use the pulpit to abuse um, their, their platform, to, to be like, man, I'm going to use this almost like a therapy session. <laughs> I'm just going to like share and I'm, I'm not really going to get into the word or they might even use it to shame people in their personal life. You know, they might use it to shame their spouse a little. Um, and the stuff that they're going through and they'll 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 open up uh maybe not only their own sins but the sins of their children the sins of their their wife their their family members friends maybe and uh you maybe you see and you're just like gosh that's that looks so destructive you know and that can pull you the other way on the pendulum of not wanting to share
0: mm. so you want to take this one
1: yeah so the best place we go to is uh scripture you know and see how the apostles dealt with this issue of vulnerability did they share vulnerability or did they not um so the apostle paul is probably the best one they could see because we have the most from him right he has just the most letters that we got
0: which is kind of a unique because talk about a vulnerable guy mm who is writing most of the new testament i'm not sure you could have picked a more vulnerable guy a guy who's a murderer controversial and a covetousness person yeah and a person who is not liked by most of christendom
1: right right so (laughs) poor judaism yeah (laughs) paul would definitely have the most temptation to not share weakness because he's like he's already looked at as like dude you weren't one of the original twelve You were a party to the Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees when, uh, possibly during the crucifixion of Christ, he was he was probably already in the Sanhedrin, maybe not, but he definitely was at the execution of Stephen, the first martyr and in the beginnings of the persecutions of the church. So if there was ever a dude who's just like, man, I, I'm already on shaky ground. Like people already feel like they don't have to listen to me or shouldn't listen to me because of my past. So you'd think that he would have the most temptation to not share any weakness when it came to his sin. Uh, But you see a couple instances where he does it. Our favorite ones are in Romans 7. It's a long section, so we're not going to go through that one. Um, But 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 through 16 is huge. And before he gets into this, what you have to realize is the context is he's trying to instruct Timothy on how to lead his church. So this is like right before he's going to get into teacher mode, right? Right before he's about to instruct his pupil on how to behave in the church, he gives a confession, which we think is really interesting. And uh, this is what his confession sounds like. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life so if you'll notice that confession that he is the chief among sinners is in the present tense meaning that when paul is discussing which is again it's such a weird thing to say right before you're going to launch into teacher mode of like timothy i'm the worst of the worst but let me talk to you about running your church you know it's like it's totally counterintuitive to what we would expect paul to say and, uh, but what you also see is you see that even though he's doing this confession of admitting that he is one of the most chief sinners that's ever existed, instead of throwing like a pity party of just saying like, oh, you know, Timothy, I'm, I'm unworthy of eldership. Don't listen to me. He launches immediately into this ideal of just like, yeah, I'm the worst, but that's why Christ has appointed me not to be a symbol of strength. But to be a symbol of grace and i think that that's so key because he's saying like timothy we're not really appointed as ministers because we got it all together we're appointed as ministers to be examples of god's grace and how can people see god's grace and mercy in your life if you're not sharing the issues in your life that require grace and mercy to cover
0: yeah some of the greatest leaders that we think of in the bible um have have been very vulnerable people mm. so we think of king david who i remember listening to uh a minister say he was his hero that king david was his hero yeah. and uh and king david was was a leader there's no doubt about it yeah he was a not probably i mean it's arguably the most popular and best king of israel yeah and united the the um, the country together, um, and but this guy was a very vulnerable person, and, and so we could have picked so many psalms of his that where he just fillets himself wide open. Um, we picked Psalm 38 3 through 5 there's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor any health in my bones because of my sin for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness Lord all my desires before you now this is a great passage because you don't see this you don't hear this in many sermons Mm. Um, we, we, we read about this and we, we might expound on, oh, the, the depth of King David, you know, the remorse, you know, the, the correction of King David or things of that nature. But we, you know, remember that King David is making this public. This is a public declaration in songs, Mm. Um, so that other people are gonna sing that other people are gonna (laughs) sing that's right and and uh, with that understanding you know it's like a minister that's public and before people and what is the song we sing is it this kind of a song there's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger towards me because of my sin you know uh, you know my iniquities have gone over is that is that kind of where we're at in, in our ministry mind yeah. Um, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of weakness that is shown.
1: You know, even even like when a, a minister, because I've heard this a lot too, where they'll, they'll say in a flippant way though, it, it's not really in a serious way, but it's like, yeah, you know, like don't trust in me or anyone else because man, I'm God knows I'm a sinner. You know, I'm, I'm wicked. Mess. I'm a mess. And they'll say it like that. It's like almost in a flippant way where again, if you're sitting in the congregation, you're listening to it. You're not like, wow. You know, like that pastor has some real sin in his life. You're more just like, man, what a humble guy.
0: You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. It's like King David didn't didn't wasn't shy to tear himself down, right. And build up God, right? And you see that in guys like Charles Spurgeon too. Yeah, that are so Absolutely. refreshing when you listen to Charles Spurgeon and, and read his sermons. He tends to tear himself down at times. Yeah, where w- when he exalts the grace or the holiness of God, he he turns inward and he sees utter failure. Yeah. And so he expresses that failure. In like a
1: somberness. In
0: a somberness, in a real seriousness to the congregation so that they know that Spurgeon is right alongside with them. Yeah. That there is no separation between pastor and congregation member. Right. When it comes to the desperate, equal amount of grace that's needed, right? So just as, uh, um, you know, the distance between God and man is great. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the pastor shares that burden of, uh, such a, such a distance, you know, with the congregation, they don't, um, they don't set up something where they, they, um, come off or educate that there we are uh somehow better right um greater further along
1: yeah absolutely even i I was sharing with the guys on tuesday we were talking about confession i said it's so interesting in the old testament when the priests were doing the sacrifices before like so you imagine it like everybody's in in the outer court which is huge you know if you look at pictures and images of what they think the outer court looked like this big area people are gathered together they're all they all got their sacrifices ready and usually people would come with like their families and their communities to sacrifice before the priest could take the first sacrifice he had to sacrifice for himself and when he did the sacrifice he would have to confess so there's this time where he's like got a you know you just picture he's got like this bull strapped up to the altar and there's just like this somber moment where the priest leans on the bull and he confesses his sin and kills the bull and everybody's just watching you know they're like his sin is just exposed to the whole nation and then the first guy is able to come up and sacrifice you know and and you can imagine just like what a culture that would build
0: yeah if you ever if you ever go online, I remember one time when I was in the book of Leviticus studying, I typed uh, animal sacrifice, like Middle Eastern animal sacrifice, yeah. you know. And uh, sure enough, I found something where you could watch people literally sacrifice an animal. Yeah. And uh, and I was just floored yeah. with how intense yeah. it is. Um, so yeah, there was a real somberness there. Uh, to it and you kind of get that idea throughout the bible mm. of that sovereignness especially in the book of james you know turn your laughter to mourning yeah. you know you get that idea of that there needs to be a you know there is that seriousness to our own issues right you know um, so it's not to the issues of other people or not to the issues of king david per se in our sermon giving right but it's it's to be able to relay our own lives in a somber way too. Um, And so we see David doing that quite a bit. Hmm. So we see the Hall of Faith of the week Hmm. in the New Testament. So we look down this list and we can see a lot of um, uh, struggles that these people had. So we list some of them, not all of them. But if you go down this list in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the famous passage, and all us ministers know this passage very well. um, But we have to understand these all were very vulnerable people and very weak in common human ways. Right. And it reminds us of another passage in Corinthians that says, all sin is common to mankind. Right. Right.
1: Where it's like in that... And that explains Hebrews 11 so much because I think a lot of people read Hebrews 11 and they're like, these are the heroes of the faith. And it's like the whole argument of Hebrews 11 is these guys are worth looking at for their faith, meaning if we were to look at their actions, you wouldn't want to emulate Abraham's life. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know many people would be like, yeah, you know, you want to be a man of faith, have sex with your maid, you know, (laughs) have an illegitimate son, you know, raise him and then have a a true son and have there be division, then kick out (laughs) your illegitimate son and you're you're basically the, the chick that you knocked up, you know, go to Egypt, lie about your marriage to your wife, you know, have her be put in situations where she might be raped, you know, this is, this is how you honor God. You know, there are things that he did in his life that, don't get me wrong, were very honorable, but we don't look at these guys as, as examples of life. We look at them as examples of faith, that what made these guys so special is that they loved and they trusted God. And that's what they have to look back on. You know, when we get to heaven, they're not going to be like, man, like, I just lived my life so well, you know. <laughs> like I just did everything right. They'd be like, "Yeah, dude, I was a mess," but I loved God. I trusted Him, and and God is awesome. He had mercy on me.
0: Yeah, know? and it was a lot of them were just, you know, the blessing of the faith. the, the where you see faith in their life is that they just they moved. Right. They literally moved yeah. tents. You know, they literally, God said go, and they went, okay. <laughs> they didn't do it perfectly, yeah. morally perfectly, ethically perfectly, yeah. by all means. But the, we always have to ask the question, ministers, do you? Yeah. You know, do you as a minister think that you are more ethically perfect than Abraham? Right. More ethically perfect than the list that's here? Or if you do feel you're more ethically perfect, then how much, how closer are you to Jesus than they are? Mm. And is that how you think of it? Do you think yourself on a linear scale moving closer to Jesus? And do you look at yourself and go, I'm ethically pretty good? Yeah. And if you do think that right now in the presentation, then just hold on to your hats. (laughs) We got more for you down the road, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's, it's something to start thinking through. Right. And, um, so we see a lot of people are weak in many ways. So why is it so hard to admit weakness?
1: Uh, It says we tend to equate faith with strength. You know, so meaning that, again, looking at these Hall of Fame guys, we tend to think that, like, the most faithful were the most strong. When in reality, you know, the word faith literally means to lean upon something, you know, to trust it implicitly. And the point is is that crutches aren't for the strong. You know, the strong don't need to lean on anything. They just go, you know. So our faith, our need of faith is a declaration of weakness in and of itself you know that we need to believe in the mercies of God that are new every morning why because our sins are new every morning that our failures are new every morning we need to believe in the love of God that's new every morning because again our reasons to for God to push us away are new every morning so our faith is actually again it's it's a demonstration of of weakness but most people don't think of it that way
0: yeah usually when we teach in the church things like Gideon or you know these different people, uh, Barak, different people in the Book of Judges, especially we always teach them. Usually in mighty ways, right? You know,
1: we kind of drop out the end of their life. <laughs> <laughs> like let's just let's just focus on what they did right and let, let let's not talk about what they did wrong.
0: That's right, and we tend to always say they're so strong, they're so strong. And and one of the things we want to un- get in the presentation, and this might be a paradigm shift too, right off the bat, is the idea that we're educators, right. And we are going to educate either by what we say or what we don't say. Right. So we'll talk more about that down the road. But let me just put that little, that little idea out there. Yeah. So how we, how we instruct people on what faith looks like is going to have a role in their daily lives and in their psyche. Um, you know, even in, in ideas of depression yeah. that they go through. Um, you know um, if I keep saying hey you know faith is going to make you strong and strong means you're ethically going to be moving forward and what we mean by moving forward is that you now aren't going to struggle in sin as much Right. and um, that now your struggle for sin, sin will just be a little bit yeah. so now you just struggle with sin a little bit less every day yeah. and that's really what faith means Well, that sets up potentially a a lot of people who listen to messages like that to a life of despair Mm. or a life of depression Um, because they see a reality in their own life that they are super frustrated with And through education, they find themselves abnormal. Right. Not able to achieve, quote, the Christian norm. Right. Which is every day sinning less. Yeah. And that's what you hear, right? Is that you sin less every day. Yeah. And the question I always, we, we have to ask as pastors is, how much less do you sin today? Can you answer that? Quantify it. Yeah. Like quantify that, like how would you quantify that?
1: So what most pastors do um, is they look at their physical sins. So the things that they do outwardly. And they would say things like, well, I'm sinning less because, you know, I haven't had a drink in this many years and I haven't committed adultery in this many years. And I haven't, you know, so they look at their physical achievements and they're like, I'm sinning less. But, you know, if we take seriously the words of Christ, you know, what he's getting at with with the issue of the heart, that sin begins in the heart, um, which he elaborates on in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and other places, we have to realize that as we grow closer to Christ, the depravity of our heart should be growing more and more clear to us, which is why the Apostle Paul, even though certainly his outward sins were probably a lot less (laughs) towards the end of his life uh, than they were at the beginning. We don't know for a fact, but they probably were. But, he could still declare himself the chief among sinners. Why is because he really started to be gripped by how wicked his heart was. The more he fought his outward sin, the more he realized how rooted in that depravity and that selfishness and that lustfulness he really was. And uh, that's why he's like, even at the end, he's like, gosh, I'm like the the worst sinner ever. You know, I, I can't get it right, but you know what? God has grace for me and he's able to move on from there. Now, this may sound like a, a weird place to kind of start our talk because we're like, hey, we're educating you on how to deal with people with sexual morality. But the reason why we're starting here is because when, even when we have that topic of I am trying to learn how to minister to people who struggle with sexual morality, you can come at that topic from a position of strength that I'm qualified to minister to you. Why? Because I don't sin, right? I can counsel you because I'm not where you're at. You know, and I'm going to stoop down to your lowly level and I'm (laughs) going to teach you how to be just like me, you know, without lust and without sexual sin. And if you minister to someone like that, what you are doing is you are setting them up for failure because you are instructing them that there's something inherently wrong with them, that they can't just get with the program and stop sinning because you have, you know. And you have all this wisdom and you're just going to get them to the place where they're going to stop sinning too.
0: I heard Martin Luther King in a sermon the other day say, you know, when you say to someone, just pull up, just pull, pull yourself, yourself up, up, by, up the by, the, by your bootstraps. He says, but what if they got no boots? Boot? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and that's kind of it, right? Yeah. It's like when you come to someone and say, hey, man, just stop. Yeah. Just, you know, just like me, just like I've stopped. Yeah. Like you know, when God did this to me for me, yeah. and man, God's so good, He did this to me, and yeah. isn't God good? God's so good because He did this to me. Man, praise God, He's so good. That person who you're talking to is going like, something's wrong with me because yeah. I've been praying, and but did you repent? <laughs> well, I think so. Well, you didn't repent like me. Yeah. Did you? Otherwise, you would not sin. Did you repent more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and it, it goes in these these ways where we're always insinuating that you just need to pull yourself up. Right.
1: And, and again, like this may seem a little harsh, but for me and Bo, what we deal with on a daily basis, like literally a daily basis is we're dealing with the bad theology of men who are gripped by sin. And what we realize more than anything, it's like their porn problem or their sexual morality problem is actually not that big of a problem compared to, to their problem of theology compared to their issue of not understanding God's grace, not understanding God's love, where they, they're in a quandary where they always feel like they got one foot out of the kingdom and they're just a screw up and God is just like one sin away from being done with them and they feel like they can't relate to anyone in their church, they can't talk about these things in their church. It's like that's actually the bigger problem for this guy. The sin thing can be dealt with pretty easily. But that shame and that feeling of inferiority and feeling of insecurity before God and before their church, those are wounds that are going to take a lot longer to deal with.
0: Mm, That's right. So, uh, you know, you think of, uh, you know, what you're talking about, so cool, and and we're kind of a little bit on a rabbit trail, but it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you think of it this way too, David, you know, his life was exposed Mm. and his life was exposed and people, the people of God, a lot of them didn't like him. Right. And David was not an accepted ruler of Israel. It was a divided kingdom for many years. Even when he ruled in Israel, there was still a whole crew, a whole tribes. Yeah. I think of like the tribe of Benjamin that really struggled with him. Yeah. Uh, or, or, uh, the, uh, um, is it? Yeah. Benjamin. Um, I was thinking Saul's from Benjamin. Yeah. Um, you know, that these guys struggled with him. And, um, um, and the point is, is that it's interesting that God loved the people that were for King David, yet he was super weak. Mm. And, and when things get exposed in the church and when we feel weakest, sometimes that vulnerability we get hammered on, we get the nail gets that's popped up, gets hammered on. And, and it gets, the church can judge that person really heavily. Mm. And, and we got to always remember that when King David as a leader was vulnerable, he was judged and God wasn't in favor of those that looked at King David in a non-good light. Mm. You know, God was into the people that understood King David's call and his role and, and the humility that he was showing in his life, you know, to God. And, and so I think what you're saying kind of goes along the line of that, Mm -hmm. you know, of how we in in the church look at weakness Mm -hmm. and, you know, instead of seeing things as a positive and going, hey, and helping someone with theology, helping them with understanding. uh, And, and we hope that this presentation is going to help people out there understand theology a little better on these issues. As we already are getting into it um, so so that we don't see this with this weakness as a lack of faith right that we but we see that faith you can be have an incredible faith mm-hmm. and still be uh morally lacking right right so do you think Paul and Jesus saw this strong religious attitude in places he went yeah? Yeah,
1: you know, And Paul even talks about it in Philippians 3. What was Paul's view of strength in Philippians 3? I'm strong because of my lineage from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm strong because of my morality. I, according to the law, am blameless. I'm strong because of my education, uh, Pharisee of Pharisees, right? I'm strong because of my passion for God, according to zeal, persecuting the church, right? So Paul looked at his resume and he's like, dude, I'm strong. But then later on he says but what things i counted as gain these things i count as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of christ so paul looked at the culture he came from that had a very legalistic bend of strength equals moral perfection educational goodness things like that and paul's like that was all junk i just didn't realize it and again like we at the church today we stress grace we stress mercy we stress all these things but we stress them in one sense and in another sense we undercut our own message, right? Because it's like how many people really do see the grace and mercy of God alive in our lives and they're able to witness just how that looks? Or do they assume God has grace on you because you are a good person? Because that's what it can look like to a lot of people in your church. You're a pastor, you got a great family, you got great things going because you're so good. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, so even in our culture, uh, we can't uh, underestimate the power of a secular, humanistic culture that even prides itself on morality. Hmm. It's not like our cu- culture's um, amoral. Right. It's not like they have no stance on morality. Huge stances on morality. Yeah. It might not be all the morality of Christianity or Judaism yeah. or Islam or whatever. Yeah. But they definitely, many secularists have very similar views of morality. Right. And the idea of being a moral person, even today more than ever, is the popularity of Stoicism within the culture that continues to permeate our culture. And the idea that if you just are strong mentally, then you are the better person, yeah. You know, if you, you know, the people that have their brains frozen to be implemented into the cyborg in the future <laughs> are going to be the strong, you know, really, you know, rich can really get it done kind of person. That's what we call the the great DNA. Right. You know, so even in our culture, we tend to think that the strong morally, the strong, the people who have the good self-esteem, the people that can motivate themselves the best, those are the people that really are strong, Mm. you know, and, and that if you're not, then you're you're the one who it's better if your brain just rots (laughs) right
1: but there's a perspective because of that that it's like if you can't get your act together it is because of an inherent inferiority right right that there is something that is inferior about you yeah and there is something superior about us who have gotten it
0: together right and does that sound like anybody that Jesus ran into right that kind of idea of religious superiority and through a idea of outward moral ethic rules. Mm. And what do you guys think? You guys can discuss it. Yeah. And we want people to discuss it. And if we were there with you in person, we just have a class just discussing about that. Yeah. You know? So so we're going to stop there because we're going to get into 1 Peter 5 next. And uh, we're going to talk about being an example to the flock and what that, what that looks like. And so that's going to be the end of our part one of our, um, our presentation. So stay tuned for part two. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries psalm 36 8 they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures